Hello, I'm Andre Longley, and my guest on the Hammond High podcast this week is Tom Molnar, co-founder and CEO of Gales Bakery. Since opening its first branch in Hampstead in 2005, Gales has expanded and now has around 60 outlets in the London area. We talk about the value of quality bread, the pressure the pandemic has put on food producers, and how getting around on a skateboard helps Tom do his bit for the environment. So, Tom Molnar, welcome to the Ham and I podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. How have you found um, the year generally and readjusting to lockdown? Uh, well, I think, you know, it's easily the hardest year I think uh, I've ever had in the last you know, almost 20 years doing, you know, doing this and building the bakery. Um, a lot, you know, a lot of has to do with the uncertainty that comes with the suddenness, I guess, in March of you know what happened and i think we were all really ill prepared for that and then you know the you know what do you do was it such a big question and we had to take a step back and really think about you know what what do we do in this what is our role in society now you know is it to shut down or is it to stay open and if it's to stay open you know why and if it's shut down you know why and i think um i think we worked that out and we we definitely you know we've been bakers for 30 years and it's quite important for us to kind of, that's who we are and that's what we do. And, and you know, Baker feeds people and we felt really strongly about that. And so we, you know, we did have to shrink our business quite a bit, like by 80% at the beginning um, to get our feet, to make sure that whatever we did, it was done soundly. And so it took us a while, month and a half to get our feet. And then we started slowly opening sites back up and it took us about three months to, to do that. Um, but I, I really felt like, the, you know, in April, especially a lot of the people who supply us supply restaurants and these are, you know, producers out in the countryside. And these guys would call us and say, I don't know what to do. I've got some amazing cheese I've been working on for the past year, or I've got, you know, eggs that I can't sell, or I've got fruit and veg. And I know, I don't know, they're high end, they're chef quality stuff. And, you know, we know all the chefs, that's how our business started. And I know all these guys. And I said, well, look, we're trying to stay open and I'll put out a table and I'll try to sell your veg. I'll try to sell your yogurt. I'll try to sell your cheese and, you know, your whey butter, things that we, it's just, you know, you can see how important it was um, to keep the supply chain alive. You know? It was one of the big unknowns early on, wasn't it? How it was all going to work, but actually the, the supply chain did stay alive and um, businesses readjusted to what they needed to do we've seen in the last few weeks in north london that actually there's a growth in the number of grocers and green grocers because that aspect of, of retail has has done pretty well out of this yeah it's interesting um i'd still say that we i, I think there's some good changes that will happen from from this and so a, more, a better commitment to good stuff and a better commitment to local and I think that's exactly, it's speeding up what a process that I think that was already happened. I think though that in London, we, we shouldn't forget that there's still a lot of producers and people who are making stuff that are suffering because they don't have the restaurants and hotels open. And that's, I still see that from the people that we buy from. And we're trying to do our best to help them, you know, because it's, it may, you know, you know they, 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 still are, they still don't have the outlets that they did. So this supply chain is really weak. 
um, I, all the way to the, its seed. I mean, the most important thing that we have is that we start out well, right? Like you, you do coffee, you got to have a good a guy who cares about coffee and pulls the beans off three times, not once, and then he takes care of them, you know, and it's the same thing with any food. You know, we need farmers who care, who make good stuff, and we need to give a market to them. I think there's a market now, there's a growing number of green grocers, but there's a lot of stuff still stuck in the countryside. And there's a lot of businesses that are that are failing or at high risk of failing because, I, you know, we're not building the infrastructure fast enough, you know, to move this stuff in. And, and, I, and I'm, it's one of the commitments that my, me and my team have is to, you know, no craft person, you know, should go under. You know, if we can buy from you and sell to our customers great stuff, then we'll do it. You know, so, you know, if I have to send out a van, I send out a van the countryside you know i make it happen well let's um let's rewind and see where that gale's philosophy came from so because there's currently around 60 outlets i think that's yeah. correct isn't it yeah um but obviously you started with one and that was um in the middle of Hampstead, the middle of ham and high territory so, yeah. so tell me how that came about well um you know gale started this bakery about 30 years ago and we were just serving chefs for about 10, 12 of those years, the first 12. Um, that's a really comfortable place to be. And that's where I met Gail, you know, um, when, she, when she was just doing, she's about 10 years into that. And, you know, so, and we were just serving chefs. I continued to do that. It's a really comfortable place to be because, you know, chefs understand good quality stuff, bread and baking and, and we were doing world-class bread and baking when I met her because she was, I wanted to meet the top three bakers in London and she was one of them. Right. <laughs> and it ended up to be that I would, it ended up, you know, working with her because the business, because it was, it was, it was a you know, small craft business that was doing great stuff, but really suffering, really having some trouble. So, you know, I think we, you know, the, the whole idea of, um, of this thing is that it's a craft bakery and, you know, we wanted to give it some, you know, nobody believed, you know, that, that people would pay for chef quality bread, I guess, because everything was, you know, you know, 99.9% .9 was, you know, all this stuff. And even now, I'd say, you know, nine, you know, there's only, you know, there's less than 5%, I would guess, of real craft bread that's consumed in this country. Uh, it's a really hard number to find, but it might even be less than three. That's interesting. I mean, yeah. there is a price to there is a price differential with the cheapest stuff you can get in supermarkets, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, but you know, you're talking about you know, uh, you know, maybe it's you know one to two pounds for you know a loaf. I know you can get them at fifty p, but I'm not sure what's in there. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think food you get what you pay for. I don't think craft people. You know, nobody's making abnormal returns. Nobody's making a huge margin. There's you have to buy a really good product and that costs, you know, so the farmer has to charge more because he's putting more effort into it. And then if you look at how we make our bread, you know, we have craftspeople, right? I mean, this is their, their profession and their career. And, you know, so when you buy a loaf of bread, you're basically, you know, paying a farmer to do the right thing. Uh, I think you're also paying craftsmen to, 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 to do the right thing. Um, and then people have to decide whether it's worth it or not. And I think that's, that's, that's why, I think what's happened over the past, see, we opened the first scales 15 years ago. Um, we're only kind of in London, plus the environs of London, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and I, you know, the, the people have changed. I mean, they went from being, I don't understand what good bread is to, I mean, they, you know, 
the consumers moved at all. They've, they've said, you know, an increasing number saying, you know, I'll pay for um, something that's world-class in quality. And um, so how, how did the move from surfing chefs to that first outlet go? How successful? Oh. Was it immediately successful? Was it easy? Did it? No. no. <laughs> it was not easy. I mean, I think, you know, for months after that, we were like, what the heck did we do? <laughs> um, we didn't know how to do many things, uh, including like getting the till up and running. Uh, the whole idea for Gales uh, at the beginning, and it's kind of still is, is, is to be a celebration of bread. Right, we thought that bread was just another product that had been over-engineered. And but you know, when we go to the bakery, we you know, bakery serving the chefs, we thought this is a happy place. You know, this is a place where amazing things are being done by amazing people for amazing chefs. You know, and that we should celebrate this. And that bread isn't just the 50p thing that's in a wrapper. There's actually a whole history behind it. There's you know, it's a it, it's a healthy, nutritional, tasty you know thing and it shouldn't be a luxury bread good you know regular you know we're all, it's almost like we've got it upside down right you know mm. the stuff that we're selling is just stuff that people have been eating for forever right and and it's not a luxury i mean why would we call it a luxury it's just because we dumbed it down so much right so i think it's literally it's our real, bread and butter yeah that's right i mean it's real real bread it's a real staple it, it you know it doesn't cost 50p to make the real thing it, it just doesn't. It doesn't cost one pound or one pound fifty. Again, I, I always thought that people should just have the choice. I, I don't know what they're going to choose. My job is to make is to make sure that we make amazing bread all the time. Never, you know, don't cut corners. You know, buy the good ingredients. Buy, you know, use good craftspeople. Make a great loaf. Get it there on time, and and fresh and, and let people decide and, you, and tell the story behind that that's that's our job so that people understand i'm paying more but i'm paying more because i understand what i get i guess and you've spoken obviously you've spoken a lot about bread there but it's the growth of gales has also coincided with the explosion in coffee shops and cafes and um you know non-licensed eateries in the country um which has presumably been quite good timing. How's it, how has it grown so far, or seemingly so fast, to have so many outlets now? Well, I don't think it's... So there's a couple of questions. First of all, um, I think coffee is a lot like bread when you go all the way back to the supply chain. So if you're going to do coffee well, it has the supply chain. You know, when, when people weren't going to buy coffees during the lockdown, you know what thing that scared me is I didn't... I, I, who, how can I pay for my craftspeople? And what's going to happen to the people in Rwanda you know, El Salvador, Panama, Brazil, you know, these people that we go to see, you know, twice a year, you know, who I promised that, you know, if you put the time in, we'll buy your coffee. You know, it's, it was scary, right? Hmm. Um, you know, I don't how, think- How has it been for them? It, it's, well, so by staying open, we kept what we bought, we bought everything that we said we would buy at the price we said we would buy it, you know, so- so, I mean, there's a link there that, that I think needs to, la need to think of it in terms of years. You know, what's my relationship with the cooperative in Rwanda or in Panama or El Salvador? It has to be strong. It, this, you know, hopefully the world is different than it was in the 70s, 80s, 90s, where it was just transactional and everything was commoditized. I mean, I can't make a great cup of coffee for a person in Hampstead if I don't have an amazing farmer in these places. Who, who believe, and I have, then we have to have a trust bond in order for me to get, to get a good coffee. If we want to commoditize coffee and it doesn't matter, 
and nobody matters at any point. I don't get, doesn't matter that much how we grow it. Doesn't matter that much how we roast it or transport it or do the barista. Then we have an average coffee. Then we have nothing, right? But that's not what we're shooting for. That, and so coffee is very similar to, to, to bread and that all the supply chain has to work. Um, you know, I'd say as well that we, we, we're still mostly food. So there's been exposure in coffee, but there's, it's, again, it's coffee appreciation. You know, mm. I think just like bread appreciation. And, you know, I, I, all we're doing is saying, look, every year we want to get better. Every year we want to make our supply chain better. We want to get better at what we do. And we think that there will be customers there that will appreciate it and, and pay for it. And if there's 10 gales or 60 gales or 600 gales, as long as we're doing it, you know, well, and we're holding up to our high standards, which should be higher every year, then it's fine. I'm, you know, I don't care how many there are. I mean, and the more, the better. I mean, you know, would you rather have a Gales or a Greg's in your neighborhood? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, the, the you've got 60 in the London and its environs, which is hardly Greg's or uh, Starbucks scale, but it is a lot. How do you, how do you feel um, about people who would argue that the um, characters of high streets are being diluted by having chains well, I would just say, you know, uh, you know, I, I totally understand that. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not for blandness either, you know. And so I would say just, just, um, I guess, be more sophisticated about painting the brush across the board. I mean, you know, I think, you know, again, diversity, um, you know, uh, you know, you, you need diversity, right? And I think diversity may mean that you have, you know, a lot, you know, some people that just have ones and some people that just have twos and some that just have threes and some are, you know, and everybody's reinventing and just defining themselves about how they are, you know, not in a, a nasty competitive environment, but in a actually a very positive competitive environment, right? So in a, in a healthy competitive environment, we all look at what I'm celebrating that. That was a great idea. And that's given me the idea to go do that. And, you know, and that's how London has built such a vibrant, you know, this pre-COVID, such a vibrant um, chef thing and, and what I learned mostly from the chefs is how collaborative they were across all their businesses and you know we were certain in the middle of serving all these guys their bread these top chefs and you know and I loved that they were celebrating everything everybody else did and and they would tell them I get what I got from that is this and then the whole system gets better you know and you have to admit that the whole system right now if you look out what on offer just think we're better than this you know we know what impact we have on the environment and we know what we could do better but we're just we don't do everything that we should be doing and we know we could be doing and i, I, I you know i hope gales is, is a is, is adding to that i never think of going to a neighborhood and i was thinking what are we going to add here you know well the the next neighborhood you're moving into is um just down the road at south end green mm -hmm. um how's that looking why have you chosen there well, I mean, it used to be uh, this, uh, uh, the, the bakery, uh, Le Pan Quotidien, LPQ. So it's been a bakery before. I mean, it's a great prominent corner, um, which I always loved. I've always thought it was a great you know, site. I think the I, I use the, the train, the overground there quite a bit. And I'm living in Camden, so I'm often going up there to the park. So I know the street really well. And so basically, if I, if I know the neighborhood, pretty well or I know you know and I and I see something like a beautiful building you know and I, then I I look around and think you know 
would would we add to the street? Would we, if I was living in this you know, in direct neighborhood and not just you know in Camden, you know, what what am I one and a half kilometers away or something? Um, you know, mm. what, what would I think? And I'd say, yeah, I'd like the Gales to be here. You know, I mean, you know, I think that would make that would make. I, I think it makes the street better, but that's what I think. You know, and. Well, it, and obviously there's already, I mean, it is a beautiful location right by the Hampstead Heath station at the bottom of Parliament Hill. So it's a, it's a, it's a great place. Um, and uh, the efforts during the summer to get the streetery going were very good. Hopefully that can yeah. pick up again next year. Maybe we'll talk about that in a bit. But what, what do you say to the traders who are already there who might be concerned by having another um, competitor for, for coffee or bread or um, food? Well, I would say that it's a really big world, right? I mean, when, where, where I am, people move in all the time with ideas, good ideas and bad ideas, but some good ideas. You know, neighborhoods evolve. Um, I don't know, I guess I'd ask who else do you want there? Do you want the old guys that were there, LPQ, that, you know, that I guess, you know, failed to, to you know, I don't know, or do you want nobody there? I mean, I guess I would say it's just, a, just a, you know, I think for London, a big place with so much. I think the biggest thing I'd say for the small traders is, you know, we, you know, there's, the, you know, we should all be doing a great, great job and, and make the street attractive. You know, it's, it, the, the hardest part is getting people out of their house, you know, and, and, and to socialize and to, you know, to be willing to do that kind of stuff. And I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think we've ever, you know, I don't, the world's way too big for us to run anybody out of business or to materially impact. You know, I, I in business really. Did you spend time at the um, the streetery during the summer? I did a little bit. You know, I've been been through, and I, I like what they've done now that they've got stuff. But I'm. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, there, there, there's been calls for the slip road to be made pedestrian so that there could be a mm. kind of more permanent space. Um, mm. I take it that would be something you'd support. Oh yeah, I love. Um, I love the pedestrianization of the, of the city. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I ride my bike and ride my skateboard around. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a car driver, so I have to be careful. But I, I do know, I mean, we have to figure out ways to get in and out, right? I mean, hmm. that's really important. Um, I think cities have to be reinvented though. I think they did get too dominated by cars. I think the transition though, I understand that I have, you know, we have drivers that have to get to places, right? To, to chefs and to places. and. Hmm. Man, the, you know, the kind of hours, extra hours that they're having to do. But, you know, we also need to build better bikes, you know, and make some space for bikes. I just, and this transition period, you know, is tough. You know, I accept that. But yeah, I mean, I like bike lanes and pedestrian places. Uh, but I, you know, I live in Camden and we've basically closed off a bunch and they're, cre you know, creating some real problems in some other neighborhoods because they've closed off, you know, some key streets and, and narrowed them. So it's complicated. So, so you're broadly in support, but there's particular ones which you think need changing. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'd say I'm, you know, very supportive of pedestrianizing and bike lanes and that kind of thing. But I also recognize that we, that we need to, you know, allow some pass through, you know, people for, you know, there's a, have disabilities or somebody needs to get an emergency or you know deliveries or people that just need you know to be in a car to because they've got to take their somebody around i mean we have to yeah. keep but, but you know i i'm not i, I like I, i'm hoping that we move to a world that's less car dominated 
and more local and more you know environmentally friendly i mean that's part of the problem right you know that's why i don't like cars or i don't have one you dropped in casually there that you skateboard around is that uh is yeah. that a common method of transport for you can you often be seen around the streets of camden yeah <laughs> yeah, I get to, um, yeah I mean I skateboard I mean look I grew up in Florida skateboard is just a way to be transported around sometimes it's easier if you're um, going around I have a bit of a problem with the Hampstead Hill so I, you know I, I can't push up it very well and it's too scary to go down <laughs> <laughs> Haverstock Hill yeah is a bit scary so you, you won't see me bombing the, the street but you will see me you know, pushing around, doing, you know, going around. Yeah, it's, look, I think it's a great way to get around. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Did you yeah. used to do ramps or street skating when you were younger more? Or? Well, I'm pretty old. So I think the ollie was invented after my heyday. Oh, really? Um, but yeah, yeah. So I, uh, but I used to go, I mean, you know, under Notting Hill, there's, um, there's a quarter pipe and some half pipes. So I've yeah. been out, been out there. But I did get accused, I think, of an eight-year-old once who told me, you know, uh, I should be at my age. I should be better. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking that all my years of experience should be additive, and that there wasn't at some point where I was just lucky to get on a skateboard. <laughs> That's brilliant. But I, but I appreciated this comment. It was quite funny. Uh, how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I'm 54. 54. Yeah. Well, I guess the eight-year-old was thinking. What after forty six years, that's all you yeah. achieved. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. You hit the nail on the button. That's exactly what he thought, and I thought that's so original. That's so honest, isn't it? <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. I think the, uh, the 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 sound of my phone there is confirmation from the BBC that the um, London's going into tier two. Ah, um, tier two, okay. For now, at least, which is is the level at which um, alcohol can only be served with main with proper meals, but. I suppose for, for your business's point of view, it means that the, the cafes will be properly open and um, groups will be able to go to dine. So I guess that's good news for you. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, it's good and bad news. I mean, the only good news ever is going to be that we get over this thing and we have a better society as a result. But uh, in the meantime, there's all these little things. I guess people worry that it'd be tier three, which is not, so it's not tier one, which would be better, but maybe that's too loose. So tier two is in the middle. I mean, we're, you know, like I said, we, we serve lots of chefs and some of those chefs are in pubs and uh, in restaurants. You know, this isn't going to solve their problem. And I'm, I am really worried about this amazing chef um, community that London has built over many, the last two decades that I've been baking. And I'm, I, I am scared that, we, that we're going to lose a lot of them. And that I'm... Is, is there more that the government should be doing, do you think? You know, it's so hard. I, you know, even in August, somebody had asked me, you know, like, what do you, you know, face masks? masks. Of course, face masks, if, if, it, if it works, you know. Um, I, you know, what more can they, they um, uh, you know, that, that, that goes into, you know, policy and is it the right policy or not? I mean, I think they need to do what, what it takes to keep people safe, you know. And, you know, we have, you know, the world will change, so you can't try to keep everything alive. I think, I think, I guess we just have to make sure that the support we give is equitable somehow, and that we're running sound policies that are taking a look at all the costs and benefits back and forth. 
You know, I think that's been a, a big discussion. There's no perfect answer on that. There's no math equation that's going to define the perfect trade-off. Got to be a conversation. Let's uh, to to draw towards an end. Let's on a more positive note. What's the best bread you've ever had? I was going to say it's my. I have my my great grandmother is from Sicily, and uh, we called her Grandma Bread. <laughs> and every time we went over to her place, she had something that you know this beautiful loaf of bread that was amazing. Um, yeah, that was that was the best bread I've ever had. Do you cook? And bake yourself. Uh, I'm pretty. Um, I feel like I'm surrounded by NBA players, and, I, I play, <laughs> and then you ask me, "Do I play basketball very well?" You know, and say, "No." <laughs> you know, so yeah, I do. I do a little bit, but um, you know, my wife's Italian. She's a great cook. My daughter's an amazing baker. Uh, I'm surrounded by you know NBA equivalent bakers. You know, I'm a bit shameful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just tend tend to eat a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, Tom, thank you very much for joining us um, on the podcast and all the best um, for the coming year. We'll see what we'll see what happens. Great. Well, thank you for the time. And let's go see what uh, tier two means. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have a, a safe and prosperous Christmas and New Year's. Thank you so much to Tom for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, like and subscribe and we'll be back again next week.